If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to the gospel according to Mark chapter 4. For us to understand the context that we, that we have here in Mark 4, we're going to have to go back to where we left off. If you're new with us, we began at the beginning of last semester. We have a lot of college students, so we talk in terms of semesters. We started last semester, the very beginning of it, going through the gospel according to Mark. We made it all the way to the end of chapter three in November, and then we've taken a break to celebrate the Advent season. Now we are back and we will continue moving forward through this book. But for us to understand the context of Mark 4, we got to go back and remember what was going on in Mark 3. So if you will, look with me at chapter 3, verse 7. And this will help us. We'll just read starting there. It says that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed. And it's a great crowd that has come from all over the Palestine. People from all over the place have heard about the works and the ministry of Jesus Christ and they are flocking to him. It talks about it. Couple of verses down, or actually one, one verse down. It says, When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases, diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before and cried out, You are the son of God. Here's what we must see just when we read those verses, that this is an intense crowd. Like try to imagine that scene. It's an intense crowd, people trying to make their way to Jesus just to be able to touch him. It's a desperate crowd. People are coming, some of them maybe as a last effort that they believe for healing and for life. An expectant crowd And here's what I see here in the text. We'll see it over and over again. A very large crowd. Many commentators believe that this setting, that right here in chapter three and moving into where we'll be, chapter four, verse one, that it could be the largest crowd that Jesus ever had before him in his ministry. And and think about the time that Jesus feeds the thousands. We'll be there here in a few weeks. That we're told there, there were 5,000 men. There might've been 15 to 20,000 people there. And so we're not talking about a couple hundred people. We're not talking about the amount of people that we might have in this room or probably anywhere that you're gonna go today. We're talking about the upwards of maybe 15 to 20,000 people that are trying to get to Jesus. They have flocked, they have left their, their home and they have come searching for him. crazy. Same exact day, Jesus withdraws from this crowd for a little bit and he goes to the mountains. That may be what some of you like to do. You like to retreat to the mountains when you can to get away from the hecticness of life. Well, Jesus retreats to the mountains for what probably is just a few hours. We're told that he goes to the mountains there in verse 13 and that's where he calls his disciples. So this is a big day of ministry. 
Like we're setting apart leaders here for gospel ministry, for kingdom work. That happens here with Christ. Look down in verse 20 of chapter three. It says that then he went home and the crowd gathered again. So they come flocking to his home. So they, they see him making his way there so that they could not even eat. And it says that when his family heard of it, heard what was going on, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So in this one day of ministry so far, we've had thousands of people flocking to Jesus to hear what he says and to see his works and to be healed. People who were intense and desperate It was the last effort for many of them. They were there. It was such a busy ministry day. He called out disciples, set people apart. And then his family thinks he's crazy. Like they're not not understanding. Maybe not him in character because we have no reason to believe they ever doubted his heart. But they're certainly questioning his ministry tactics. Verse 22 begins, we have the scribes come on the scene. We got religious leaders of the day. They begin to say, and they're making a claim that the reason why he's able to cast out demons is because he's partnered with the demons. He's partnered with Satan himself and it's by the power of demons that he cast out demons. That's in the same day. He gathers a few around him at some point during this same day and says, listen, my true family, The ones that are closest to me as family are those who hear the word of God and they do it. That's who my brother, my sister, my mother. It's one of the most well-known people. Chapter four is one of the most well-known parables in the whole Bible. You probably haven't been a part of a class. You probably haven't been a part of a church for very long before you heard this taught at some point. I've heard it taught very recklessly at times. I've probably taught it recklessly at times in my ministry, but it's one that you're drawn to because it's a parable that Jesus tells you what it's about. So it's fun as a teacher. But this parable is one that many of you have heard over and over again, but we may forget the setting. And so I wanted to give it to you first. It's in the same day that we've been talking about. It's probably later in the afternoon, I imagine the sun is still up to a degree or maybe it's beginning to go down. And, and it's here that Jesus began to teach by the sea. Jesus gets around. Like he was in the mountains. He was at home a couple of times and he's, by the, he's on the beach, you know, all in the same day. Like this is a really neat landscape, first of all. And Jesus is using it to all of his ministry advantages. And so here we are. So it says that again, verse one of chapter four, again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. This is the same language that we had in chapter three, verse seven. I'm sure it's the same people, maybe even more of them. If there was a big crowd in chapter three, they probably brought friends with them to chapter four. You understand? So there's a lot of people, thousands of people gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Sometimes we read too fast to to just see the beauty of the landscape that God gives us in his word. I love this scene. It's a scene that I don't understand as a preacher. I I have no idea how you can make your voice loud enough without one of these Justin Timberlake microphones. I don't don't know how you can, I don't know how you can do it. But, But somehow Jesus was certainly able to do it and people have been able to do it for all of history before they got these microphones. George Whitfield was said that he used to preach to thousands from a boat. 
So if, you know, George can do it, of course Jesus did. And so, but Jesus was able, he gets in a boat and he takes the position of a rabbi. He sits down and he begins to teach this extremely large crowd and tell them a parable. Most of you are probably aware of parables. And I do want you to know this. We are going to go back next week and look more in depth at parables and we're going to deal with in a greater way the scripture that even is read today. So the purpose of parables, we're gonna talk about that more next week. That's a question that many of you have. I will answer it very briefly today. We'll talk about it in more detail next week. But parables was a very common way of teaching. It was a rabbinic tradition to teach in parables. Jesus jumps right in with parables himself. A good definition for a parable, you can, there's a lot of different ones you could use, but a parable is a story from nature or human life that is told to illustrate a spiritual truth. It's a practical story. It's a story that, that people would understand overall the, the pieces of the puzzle that are going on. So like in this one, they're gonna understand what a sower is. You know, they, they've been doing that probably themselves on their land. You know, they know what it's like to put the little bag on and to reach in and grab seed and, and, and toss it. They know the practice. The practice of that day would have been that you actually sow and then, I mean, you, yeah, you sow the seed and then you come and plow the field. It's a little bit different than what we might expect today, but that's just the way that they did it. And so they would understand this. Like you, you toss seed. He wasn't being reckless with his tossing. He's just talking, tossing seed as he goes. They can understand that. They understand what a harvest is and they understand what a seed is and they understand this whole picture. It wasn't something completely disconnected to them. What was difficult was them having this story that he was teaching connected with the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. But Jesus is gonna teach this crowd a parable. It says in verse two, it says, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said, now I love how the ESV does it. Listen, it's got an exclamation point. I wanna scream louder than that. I just assume that he said it right really carefully and compassionately. And it was more of like just a call to hear. If I had a big group of people on the side of the beach, I would have been like, listen, okay? Like, listen to me, okay? I would have had to be like yelling. I can't even get my kids around the table to listen for a few minutes. So I, I can imagine, I've been that with an exclamation point many times. It probably wasn't Christ-centered, okay? Like th- this is Jesus saying, listen, be a hearer. Be prepared to take in what I'm going to teach. In a few moments, we're gonna see these words. They were read earlier. It says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This parable is going to be sandwiched in between a call to listen and a statement to have ears to hear. If anyone will have ears to hear, let him hear. This parable is about a couple of things. In fact, we can apply it all over the place. But it is at least about hearing. It's about hearing about the kingdom. It's about the way the gospel moves from a mouth or a page and moves into the heart of a person. How the gospel produces transformation and change. How the gospel is good news to people and is applied into their life. It's about how we hear. And so today, I want you to see, number one on your outline, that this is a parable for us as hearers. 
Before we go in depth about it, I, I do want to care for you and pastor you the best that I can here. We want to think about hearing as it, it or in regards to salvation, hearing for salvation, and we also want to talk about hearing for sanctification. Hearing for salvation and hearing for sanctification. And you may say, what are you, what are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about. Oftentimes when we read a passage that we are familiar with, we go ahead and draw from point A to point B what Jesus is saying to us. Before we even listen, before we have ears to hear, we go ahead and we bring in all the things that we have heard before. We bring in all the thoughts that we've had about this particular place and we go ahead and start trying to apply it all over the place in our hearts. Before we even listen to Jesus, I want you to know this, there is not one person in this room who Jesus will look at you and say, you are bad soil. Not one of you in this room. No one in this room was in the womb and you were labeled bad soil. There is no one in this room who Jesus does not desire you to come to him and have a fruitful life of love and joy in Christ Jesus. There's not one of you. There's not a single person in this room who this passage is teaching you that you cannot receive salvation or that you cannot grow. There is not one of you who this is what that text is saying. And so if you read into this passage, that thought, then you're gonna miss the heart and the words of Christ. You're missing the good news. But I do not want to neglect to believe that there may be somebody in this room who you today have never believed in Christ. You've never looked on him. You've never truly, you've never followed him. Maybe today you come and you say, I am so interested. I, I am here. Tell me who he is. Tell me what he looks like. Tell me what it looks like and means to follow him today. That may be you. And I want you to know that may today be a day of hearing. May today be a day where you do hear the good news of Jesus, that you understand that he loves you and cares for you and that he draws you to himself. May you walk with him in freedom today. Amen. May today be the day that he starts something that he will finish in the day of Christ Jesus. May that happen. I'll speak to you. I believe it's possible there's somebody in the room that you don't know Christ. And I want you to know that this parable does give us a word and it does give us caution as we sit under God's word, hearing for salvation. But I believe also this parable is for us as hearers who are Christians. For those of us who, you know, we have daily Bible reading plans and we're in studies and we listen to sermons online and we sit here week after week to hear God's word. I believe it's for those who sit in the room and you maybe have something that God has been over and over again speaking into your life and you haven't responded. I believe it's gonna be for you today. I believe there's a word of caution and a word of freedom and goodness and good news that he will bring to us today. So this is a parable for us as hearers. And the question is this, what affects our hearing? What is it that affects our hearing? And so let's make sure that we read the parable again and then jump straight into what Christ tells us. The parable goes, listen, a sower went out to sow and he sowed and some seed fell along the path 
The birds came and they devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprung, it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold, 60 fold and a hundred fold. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I want you to imagine for a second that you have been trying to get to Jesus all day. I don't know what it is that you've got going on in your life, but the preacher down the road said, hey, wherever you are, that's where he meets you. (laughs) And you said, well, this is where I am and there he is, so I need to get to him. And you had something going on, whether it was you know, physically or you were, whether it was demonic oppression, whatever it was, you have made your way to get to Jesus. You get there and he pushes out a little bit in the boat and he sits down and he begins to teach. And he tells you that there was a sower who went out and he threw seeds all over the place. Some of it landed on hard ground. Some of it landed on rocky soil. Some of it landed among thorns and some of it worked and there was a harvest. (laughs) At the end of that, you said, Awesome. Okay, what's next? Where's the healing time? Where's the part where I come to you, I touch you, and then my disease is gone? Where's the part where you do the cool thing where a kid brings his lunchbox and you take it and then you make a big meal? Where's that part? Like, I'm ready to see this. Like, what's next? Where are you going to be tomorrow? Why did we just end the day with such a Weird story about agriculture. Like, why, why did we do this? Well, I believe that's what many of the people did. And so the gospel according to Mark has given us words of Jesus and actions of Jesus and then reactions and words of people. And so he finishes this and I don't know how much time there was. I don't know if there was a fellowship afterwards. We have no idea what happened, but people went on their way. There were thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. At the end of the day, there's just a few. And they come to Jesus and they say, what is going on? (laughs) Like, what is this tactic? Like, what does this mean? Like, that was a neat story, but how did that apply to anything that we've got going on with your kingdom? Like, we we thought the kingdom would just, you would just tell us up front what it was like. Like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take over the, you know, create an empire. You guys can sit at my left hand and right hand and you can do this and you can do that. They wanted to hear that story. Not a story about a sower throwing seeds. And so they come to him and they go, I, we don't understand why you just told this. And verse 10, it says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret or the mystery, like KJ talked about last week, the mystery of the kingdom of God. It's an unfolding mystery that really what he's saying here is the mystery is that the kingdom of God comes in Christ Jesus. Well, they knew part of that, but they didn't know the whole of it at all. They didn't get it. And so it says, to to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Keep in mind at this point, inside are a few people who a lot of them are going to betray him later, or they're gonna flee from him later in his greatest hour of need. 
And the ones that he's referring to as outside involved like his mother and brothers. Like James that wrote the book of James was probably during this part of Mark four on the outside. He was probably thinking he was out of his mind and this ministry tactic was crazy. So when we hear the words inside and outside, try not to draw too much into that at this point. Just listen to the words of Jesus. He makes sense of these different responses. And it says, for those outside, everything's in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. He quotes from the book of Isaiah and the context of Isaiah is he is just in chapter six of Isaiah. He sees the king. Do you remember the story? It was like every youth conference I've ever gone to. It was the first night. Okay, so like Isaiah, he sees the king. We don't know if he actually saw him with his eyes, but he at least sees the, the trail of his robe. He sees these angels that are flying around. You got, you got these angels that are like covering their eyes, they're covering their feet, they're flying around. It's one of, it, I mean, it sounds terrifying to me when you just read it, but it was awesome. And they're just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Like they're just worshiping the Lord. And Isaiah, when he sees this scene, he just falls down like he's dead. And he says, I am ruined. I am a sinner. Like I have no business being in this place. The Lord, of course, heals him. And then he raises him up and he's gonna send him out. He sends him out on a job to be a prophet, to be a proclaimer of good news. And if you've ever read the book of Isaiah before, it has some of the sweetest news in all of the Bible. It gives some of the sweetest promises that Christ has fulfilled and that he's still fulfilling to this day. Isaiah is a beautiful book. But in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is told, like, you're going to go, you're going to proclaim this message ultimately about my kingdom and people aren't going to respond positively. They're not going to believe you. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to even care. And the book of Isaiah goes on and he does that and people don't care. They come against him at every turn. And so what Jesus is doing is he's putting this scene in Mark 4 in the same context or looking back to the context of Isaiah. It doesn't mean that Isaiah's work wasn't profitable for the kingdom of God. In fact, to this day, the Lord is still drawing people to himself through the beautiful words of Isaiah and through the evidence that we have of Christ fulfilling this beautiful work of a kingdom, a kingdom that has come and a kingdom that will still finally one day come. It's beautiful. But in the book of Isaiah, he proclaimed it and people didn't listen. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to speak. I'm going to teach, but people aren't going to hear. Like just the reality is people are not going to hear. In fact, those around the table, for most of them, when it gets to his hour of death, they either deny him, betray him or flee. And so it's just the way that the, that the gospel works in the process of it. And you need to understand this. Mark chapter four, Jesus has not died and rose from the grave. The disciples, when did they, when did they just get it? Well, when they saw him risen. And so don't take this and apply it to your life as if like, today when you're reading that God's just somehow wanting you to hear this sermon so that you'll never see anything. Okay, that, that's not what he's doing. That's not what the word is teaching. He desires you to hear 
and he speaks his beautiful word of grace over you today. And he calls you to listen, to hear, to take it in. Have ears to hear and eyes to see. That's what he's saying to you today. We'll come back to those verses next week and it it will connect to verses 21 and 25 as well. But what I want us to do is move on and we're still looking at a parable for hearers. We wanna see what Jesus says about this text. We wanna ask the question, what is it that affects our hearing? What affects our hearing today? Well, glad that you asked. Look at verse 13. It says, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Well, how then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. So we know now that the one sowing is, you know, he's sowing the word. The seed is the word. It's the gospel of truth. It's the good news of the kingdom. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, that when they hear, Satan immediately comes and he takes away the word that is sown to them. So the first thing that we need to see is what affects our hearing. We need to see Satan. Satan affects our hearing. One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. That's why I named my little boy Lewis. He's on the front row right now. I I named him Lewis after C.S. Lewis. I love his writings. Some of it, especially early on, I knew I was supposed to really like it and love it. And so I made myself like it and love it because I was supposed to. Over the years, I've actually grown to really like the writings of C.S. Lewis. And one of those in particular actually started this week and just dominated it. Like got sucked in and, and finished it out in the last couple of days, but it was, I reread his book, The Screwtape Letters. And so I don't know how many of you have read, read The Screwtape Letters, but it is a, it's a story or it's a, li, a grouping of letters that come from Screwtape, who is a like chief demon. And he's writing to his nephew, who is like a junior demon. Sounds weird, I know. But he's writing to them and he is talking to him about how to distract or how to pull away his patient. And that is a a person who is seeking to follow the Lord, who the Lord has been drawing to himself. And he is showing how he might draw the patient away from God, who Screwtape calls the enemy, and draw him to hell. That's what the story is. And you're like, man, that sounds super dark and weird. It's really awesome. And it gives such a great perspective, I believe, of what this is talking about today and how Satan and the demonic body comes against our hearing of the word. One of my favorite examples in it is Screwtape is talking about a patient that he once had. And he's talking to Wormwood, his nephew. And he talks about him being, this was a, it was a guy who was a learner. And he had gone to a British museum and he was reading his books. And it was during that time that he began to be drawn on a spiritual thought, a train of thought that was taking him to God, or as Screwtape says, the enemy. It was taking him to the Lord. And he advises his nephew, don't try to argue against God. Don't try to go against him. Don't even try to argue against God the word that he's considering. Don't do that. Do something that's way more in your power. Remind him how hungry he is. 
And he tells him, he says, I just reminded him that his stomach was hungry and it was time for lunch. And it said that as soon as he walked out the door and hit the street, the work was done. Here's the exact words. It says, once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and a number 73 bus going by. And before he reached the bottom of the steps, I got him into an an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he was shut up along with his books, a healthy dose of real life, which by this he meant the bus and the newsboy, was enough to show him that that sort of thing just couldn't be true. I just love the thought when we think of Satan coming in and stealing, we think of things like him coming and putting some other thought in our head or, or battling the word that we just heard or giving us different news or something like that. That may not be the way that he works in most of our lives. Maybe it's just at the peak of the Lord speaking to us in the quiet. Maybe he just reminds us that it was time to go get a sandwich. Maybe it was that we had to get on with just the important stuff in life. Whatever it may be, I will say this. It is possible that even the word that is proclaimed over you today, that your stomach will remind you how hungry you are. And when you hit the street, the battle will be won. Jesus is telling us this so that we fight against such a thing, that we're aware of such a thing. I love how God's word gives us the freedom not to be scared of Satan, but to certainly be aware of the way that he works. Listen, for the Christian today, we just know this. The Bible says, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. This is the beautiful word, but we also need to be reminded that Satan is a liar, that he's crafty, that he's a lion, and then he masquerades as an angel of light. He doesn't want you to take in God's word. He doesn't want you to hear good news and respond in it. He doesn't want you to have joy and hope. He doesn't want you to live a life of love and goodness. He wants to steal it away. And I think it's important for us to understand that at least one of the things that affects our hearing is Satan. That's what the word says, that it was sown, but before it was even taken in, he just came by and swept it up. So today, be in a practice, be actively resisting the devil. Don't be scared of him. But at the same time, be aware of how he works. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Another word before we move past that is this, is that when we look at the, the road, that seed was tossed along the road, this would have been roads of travel. This is how people would have gotten around. And so when you think about a road of travel, this is a busy place, a place of life and busyness. What we must do is understand how dangerous being too busy can be. Sometimes our busy life can get in the way of us hearing and responding to the word of grace. So just understand that we're a people on the go. We're a busy people. And oftentimes, busyness can lead to hardness. The Lord has given us his word here because he loves us and cares for us. He's telling us about the realities of life and what it's like when his word goes out. Today, we need to understand that Satan loves to prowl on busy people. 
So the first, what affects our hearing? Satan. The second though, what affects our hearing? Well, Jesus tells us troubles, trials, and persecution because of the word. Look there in the text. Verse 16, it says, these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The one who, the ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. A quick story that makes this point in the book of Mark is the one that I've already brought up. It's when persecution and trials and troubles came to Jesus. It's when they came to arrest him. And what did they all do? They all, they all ran. They all fell away. They really did. They fell away. Peter is one of my favorite people in the Bible. But Peter has one of the worst moments you can have. He says, I would never fall away. I will always be with you. What does Jesus say? On this very night, this very night, you'll deny me three times. And he does. Like that should be a word of caution to any of us. Like he does. What happened? Well, Troubles came in, trials came in, and persecution came in because of the word, the word that became flesh. Well, look at what happened with the disciples. They fell away. We get way too caught up in trying to draw a picture up of the person that Jesus is talking about here. Like you start thinking about that kid from youth ministry or or that time in life or that person who was here and they made a profession of, you start doing, don't do that. Don't draw pictures up of people. Jesus is not trying to get you to draw, you know, make case studies of different people who thought they believed but didn't. That's not what he's doing here. He is literally talking to you about how the word is given to us and the things that pull it away that distract us from ever walking in the truth of the word. The the thing that I think about is something like this. What if we hear in our hearts a celebration of joy when we hear God loves you? Jesus loves you. Like that, that should be something that speaks into the depths of your soul. Jesus Christ loves you. But what if that's the only sentence we know about it? What if we leave with the understanding that he loves us when times are good or when we're good? What if we believe that he loves us only when we don't have troubles in our life or when nothing's coming against us, when the bank account's full? What if we think that he only loves us because we feel like he loves us? I guarantee you when trials, troubles, or persecution comes on account of the word, that's gonna fall, that you're, you're done. You're not gonna cling to anything and walk with joy in that moment. Even though you knew that Jesus loves you. We have to be rooted rooted in something other than just a statement. We have to be rooted in the truth and connected to a person, the person of Jesus. What happens when we're rooted is this, the statement Jesus loves you is rooted in this belief and this moment where Christ Jesus, our Lord, took on our sin. He died in our place. He was buried and he rose from the grave victorious over sin and death and anything that would ever come against his people. When we're rooted in the gospel, Jesus loves you. Means something that can't get rocked. 
Emmanuel, God with us, means something that can't be removed, no matter what it is that we're going through, no matter what comes against us. The root is the thing that we need to understand. It's very possible that you could immediately receive a lot of things with joy. And there's a lot of things to receive with joy when we're talking about Christianity. But the thing is, the root is what he's talking about. Like when something really takes on fruit, it's when it's rooted. It's when it's rooted in the truth. A quick word for you is this. The same word, the the gospel that saves you is the same gospel that sanctifies you. The word that saves you is the word that sanctifies you. The word that brings you into faith is the same word that grows you up in Christ. It's the same thing. It's the gospel, it's the good news of the kingdom and who he is. And it's a process of, it's, it's constantly unfolding before us. It's a mystery that's being revealed. All of you in the room are not in the same place of hearing. You're just not. And so we need to be a people who are desiring to listen and to hear and to have his word take root in our lives. We need to understand that troubles, trials, and persecution, they will come, but our roots can be deeper than they are. The Lord's with you. He's for you. I I was writing some things earlier connected to this. And when we think about these troubles and trials and persecution, we need to think about one, Emmanuel. We do need to be reminded he's not just with us at Christmas. He's with us now. He's with you today. But we also need to be reminded of this is the importance of the community of faith, the community of Christ. When we're in troubles and trials, when we're being persecuted, when things are coming against us, we need the body of Christ speaking the word of truth into our life, building us up by the word of grace. It's so important for us as we are hearers of his word. Look at the third part though, the third thing that affects our hearing. It says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And think about that for a second. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. A really good example of this, if you wanna hold your place there in Mark four, flip over with me to John 12. And I want you to see an example. It's also the same passage that was read earlier from Isaiah. And it's gonna be quoted again and applied into a different context. (laughs) Now you'll see here the title of this in the ESV is the unbelief of people. It's not the, you know, the heading that you want to see, but that's where it is. Starting in verse 36 there, it says, when Jesus has said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand their heart and turn and I would heal them. This is setting up the scene for Christ to go to the cross. 
But it also gives us a picture here of what it looks like when thorns come in our life. Isaiah said, these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's a big statement. That affected their hearing, the way that people viewed them, the cares of this world, caring that people think of me a particular way can be a wall between me hearing the word of God. Do you see that? Like what are other cares of this world? Like we could just go and list them. It could be the power bill. It could be college coming up. It could be, name it, and, and it can be there. It can be something just downright silly or it can be something that is incredibly important to the value system of our lives. The point is this, is he is saying that the cares of this world can keep you from hearing the good news of the word of God. The deceitfulness of riches. Well, my goodness, that can be important to us. Money, the lack of it can cause us to just feel like we're going crazy. An abundance of it can put us in a place of greed. Riches can give us the lie that says, if we had this, then we could do that. If we had this, then we would be able to feel that. You know, it, it can give us this idea that success would come or happiness would come if we had this thing. That can get in the way of us being able to hear the word. And then I like how he says, and just desires for other things. Like that's pretty generic. Desire for other things. It can get in the way of us hearing the word. And here's what I wanna say to you. The good news is this, is that when we look at this text, the way that a root goes deep, the gospel takes root in our life is when the cares of this world intercede. They don't intercede, they intersect with the gospel of grace and the gospel of truth and the good news of his kingdom. It's when the cares of the right side up kingdom of this world that they intersect and they collide with the beautiful, better kingdom of Jesus Christ. There are so many cares of this world. Between one Sunday to the next, we may have a war. Like there are all kinds of things that we can think about, whether it's in the news or in our lives, in the newspapers, on our Facebook feed, on the next phone call that will come from a family member. It doesn't matter what it is. There are cares of this world. It's not that Jesus says they don't matter. It's that he says that if we don't hear the word of truth and the word of truth speak into the cares of this world, they can actually get in the way of us being able to hear. They can be a thorn. We must see everything through the lenses of the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden the cares of this world are dealt with and handled differently. Once again, the community of faith is so important here. Emmanuel, God with us is vital here. But the cares of this world are something that we don't try to get rid of. It's not that we try to act like our minds don't care about things. It's that the gospel speaks into them. The deceitfulness of riches. The Lord never wants you to think that money is a bad thing. Like he doesn't want you to think that money's bad. 
What we need to do is have the word of truth, the gospel of grace, the kingdom of God be what educates us and speaks into our lives about how we view money, how we use money, how we spend money. And the desire for other things. What happens when the gospel begins to take our desires and to speak into them and shape them to look like the desires of Jesus Christ himself? One example of this, just to make sure you, you get it, is I, Catherine and I are celebrating our 15th anniversary this summer. It's our 20th date anniversary. It's our 15th wedding anniversary. And for this, we are planning out, we've already started planning it, but a trip that we're gonna take in May and to go, we wanna go a day at Disneyland and then we wanna drive up Highway 1 in Cali and go make our way to Yosemite. Okay, that's, that's, our, that's our plan. That is a dream of privilege, my friends. Most of the world doesn't get to dream up trips like that with their family, okay? Like you don't get to just do that with your wife. Like that's one awesome date. That is a dream of privilege. It is a dream that we have though, and it's one that we are pursuing. It's a dream that I don't believe is getting in the way of the word of God speaking into our lives, even though it is something that is even, I would refer to it as lavish. It's something that God can use and we can see it as something that is a gift from him. And even our privilege is a gift that we get to take a trip like that, but it doesn't get in the way. But if I gave up all of my time and all I did was just sit around and try to figure out how I can get to the next exciting thing and how my family will be happier and we'll be better if we can just see more of the world and we'll be viewed as awesome and travelers and bucket list families. Okay, if we can just do that, that, that could get in the way. That could get in the way. It's not that God wants you to be a person who doesn't have cares. It's not that he wants you to be a person who doesn't have money or be a person who doesn't desire things. It's just the gospel should educate and empower and help us to see them rightly, see them as they truly are. The gospel gives us the ability for God's word to be taken in and to take deep root in our heart and bear fruit. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 fold, 60 fold and a hundred fold. Wow. I love KJ's prayer last week. He prayed that our hearts would be good soil. I don't know if you caught that, but that's, that's what his prayer was. I often say, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. It's saying the same thing, that we, we want our hearts to be good soil as we take in his word. Last thing I want us to do today is this, and we'll come back and we'll, we'll be part two of this next week. But the first was a parable for us as hearers. But I want us to end with this, with this a parable for us as sowers. Not just a parable for hearers, but also for sowers. Christ is the sower, the capital S sower. He is the word. He is the word that not only was planted in the ground, like he was literally buried. He literally grew out. He came out of the ground and he is literally producing a army of fruit. 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold, disciples all over the world, people who love Christ all over the globe are coming through his work. He is the sower, the capital S sower. But the truth is, is that we are all called 
in Christ to be sowers as well. Those who proclaim the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel, the word of truth. With that being said, I wanna give you a few thoughts on that. The first is this, is that we are all sowers. Every one of you currently, you are a sower and it matters what we are sowing. All of you sow and I sow every day and it matters what we sow. I was trying to think about this in terms of church and me pastoring and leading you to a life of joy and happiness in Christ Jesus. And honestly, to see God do amazing things through us. And I just think it's important that we understand that all of us sow something, but we need to sow the right thing. What if we sow a Christianity of frustration? What if we sow a Christianity of greed? What if we show or sow a Christianity of a tight-knit, close little table that doesn't expand, no seats available? What if we sow a Christianity of apathy toward the the word of God and his work? What if we sow a Christianity of bitterness, of fear, That's what we're gonna reap. Have you ever seen somebody that left maybe angry a church and then went to another church? Left bitter a church and went to another church? Guess what they create? An angry and bitter small group, circle. That's not what we wanna sow. It matters what we sow. Some of you growing up, or not growing up, but like raising your families, maybe you sowed a seed of church or Christianity that might be a little different than what you're seeing now. And maybe you're reaping in some of that where you see the effects it had on your kids. And I want to point you now and shepherd you once again. It's never been your responsibility to save or to transform or to change your kids or anyone's life but it is your responsibility to sow. And God can walk with you wherever you are at whatever point. There's the old proverb that goes like this. The best day to plant an oak tree is 20 years ago. This is done. Best day is today. There's a lot of things that we may wish that we would have done. There may be some ways that we sowed some bitter or angry or frustrated or just false seeds. But today... Let's sow differently. Let's sow as Christ shows us to sow. Let's sow the gospel of grace and goodness and mercy and hope and victory. The gospel of I am with you. I am for you. I am never against you. Let's sow that seed and God will bring fruit. It has never been mine or your responsibility to transform someone's life but it is our responsibility and a privilege to sow his gospel seed. The second thing is this under sowers is we must remember to be patient and to trust God. (laughs) The harvest does not come quickly. It sure doesn't come as quickly as I wish it did. 
The craziest thing is that there's certain things that happen that we may never see the fruit, but fruit comes nonetheless. We must remember to be patient and to trust God. You don't always see the beauty of the harvest that you were a part of planting. Isaiah for sure knew this. Christ's ministry certainly gives us an example of this. But we know that the harvest came. The harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. The third and last thing that I want to remind you of here is consider the return of what was sown. It's so interesting to me to consider the nature of the seed and that God would use this, that Jesus would use a seed to describe his kingdom or the way that his word is uh, casted out. Like if you think about it, like a seed is so tiny and vulnerable, yet it can be so powerful. I was thinking about like an acorn. An acorn can be on a path and like I can step on it and crush it. At the same time, if it takes root and grows, it can bust through concrete. It can fill the world up with wood. Like that's the power of a seed. Think about one, one seed that goes into the ground and, and, wheat, uh, and, and wheat springs up. Once the seeds will go from that one stalk, there can be 30, there can be 60, there can be 100 more come. Okay, it's 2020, get your 20. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna do that. You're 20 for 2020. We're not gonna do that. But I do want you just to consider this. What if you spoke, you sowed the word into 20 people's lives? Like, what if, what if you did? What if those 20 sowed into 20 more? That would be your one, your one person, the, fir the first one that you sowed into. What if you taught them to, to go in to, for it to be 20? That would be 400 people. What would happen if all 20 of them communicated the gospel to 20 more people. That would be a lot, that'd be a lot more seed than just one person. You understand what I'm saying? Like multiplication is a big part of the work of God. It's a big part of the picture of a seed. If I'm able to speak into one person and they speak into 20, man, that's, that's a big difference. It's a huge difference. We need to be a people who understand our responsibility to sow to sow good news, to sow God's word. This year, let's be a people who, we know how to speak gospel into the lives of those around us. We speak it to ourselves and we speak it to our family. We speak good news of God's presence and his hope to all who we're able to have that conversation with. It matters that we sow. This is a parable not only for hearers, but it is also a parable for us as sowers. Today, if you find yourself here in this room and you say, listen, I have never followed Christ. I believe today that I have never followed Jesus, but I want to, I desire to. I desire for him to be my God. I wanna be a part of his work in his kingdom. Today, I call you to come. Come to Christ. You don't have to come up here. You can come where you are. But also, I would love to pray with you, walk with you, guide you. There's other people that would love to do the same thing. Today, understand this. It's possible that once you hit the road, that the battle was won. We know you're hungry. I am too. 
But let's allow the Lord to speak and move in our lives. If you need prayer today, I would love to pray over you and for you. I would love to know where you are. Wherever you are, that's where Jesus is gonna meet you. And today, if you're a Christian, if you say, man, I'm just really struggling hearing God's word. Like my heart feels hardened towards his word. My heart feels hardened towards his ways. I feel like I'm just not taking root in the areas that I know that I should or that I ought to or that I wanna be. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you too. The Lord's with you, he's for you. He'll meet you right in that place. So let's respond to him as we sing today. I'll be in the front. I'm gonna be on the front row if you need prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word and for our time together in it. I pray that you would use it, Lord, that you would make our hearts good and that it would grow deeper and deeper. God, I pray that we would be a people who don't want to have just a shallow faith, but we wanna have a deep-rooted faith in Christ Jesus who loves us and cares for us. Thank you for how you walk with us wherever we are. Thank you for how you meet us on all of our paths. God, may you today bring about a harvest. May you bring about fruit. May you bring about a people who understand and trust in your work. I'm gonna pray these things in his name, amen.